We've got a lot of National Football League news. Uh, Chris will get you updated on all the recent, the kind of the second-tier signings, if you will, from the free agent frenzy period uh, going on uh, currently in the National Football. We can talk about that. We've got a lot of National Hockey League news involving this little pest that we all seem not to like as a member of the Calgary Flames. We can talk about that. Um, I did see this guy's father in the stands the other night when Ottawa was here. Uh, Keith Kachuk has definitely lost his girlish frame from when he was playing in the National Hockey League. He was always kind of yeah, chunky. You should see him now. Did you see him the other night? He's first of all shaved all his head. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And now yeah. he just looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy when he was sitting in his rinkside seat the other day when Ottawa was playing Calgary down here in Calgary, down at the Olympic floodplain flame home. Uh, but yeah, Keith Kachuk does not look good. Um, so we can talk about that. I, mm-hmm. I've got some news there, but, um, I want to start in the national football league and, um, this guy, you know, I, I'm just wondering sometimes, you know, Chris and I have always had this feeling and we've, we certainly have no problem discussing it, but there's always a few franchises in professional sports that just sometimes can't seem to get out of their own way. They just they just fuck it up no matter what they're doing. They can bring in a new regime and they still suck. They bring in a new general manager, they still suck. And one of the teams in this category, in my opinion, would be the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, I believe it was 2008, but I'm not sure. I don't care. The only time the Arizona Cardinals were prevalent when they had a younger Larry Fitzgerald catching balls from a future Hall of Famer and Kurt Warner at quarterback, and they made an improbable run to the Super Bowl. Should have won the Super Bowl, I believe, except an unbelievable catch in the end zone by the Pittsburgh receiver. Um, I can't remember his name. Doesn't matter. Antonio Holmes. Thank you, sir. I knew he would remember. Number 10. Number one in your hearts from Antonio Brown's favorite person, Ben Roethlisberger. Unbelievable catch, but I really believe that the Cardinals should have won that Super Bowl. Yes. Okay? I do remember it was in Tampa. But since then, again, the Cardinals have gone on and continued to underperform and underachieve and fall even farther into the abyss of nothingness. Well, they've hired this new coach this year. Their last coach, Steve, what was his name? He's now the defensive coordinator in Cleveland, the black guy, Steve Wilkes. He got one year. That's wrong. I don't care. Yeah. You've got to give a coach more than one year to try to implement one his year with Josh Rosen. One year with Josh <laughs> Rosen. One year with Josh Rosen. One year with Steve Keim as a general manager. And the Arizona Cardinals ownership under the Bidwill family is as flawed as any in professional sports. Belichick would have been four and twelve. Goddamn right. No question. <laughs> no question. Belichick would have been four and twelve in the Valley of the Sun. Great point. So the Cardinals give this coach one year. It didn't work out. A lot of reasons. Injuries. Josh Rosen wasn't very effective. (laughs) Um, That's the biggest one. Understatement. Understatement of the year. But there's a lot of problems in the Valley of the Sun. So what what do the Phoenix Cardinals, or excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals do? They hire a college coach that was a failure at Texas Tech. He had just gotten fired at Texas Tech. He gets the offensive coordinator's job at USC. He lasts less than three days. And when he, was, when he left after three or four days, USC lost some recruits that were coming to play 
with the offensive coordinator, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury, after leaving USC, miraculously shows up as the head football coach of our famous Arizona Cardinals. And now they just spent a 10th overall pick, their first pick in the 2018 draft last year, on the kid Rosen out of UCLA. On early Tuesday morning, Cliff Kingsbury goes on Phoenix Radio and says that Murray is, and I quote, one of the best dual threat players to ever play, end quote. Oh, okay. Cliff Kingsbury last year won six games as the coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, and maybe it was only five because they didn't qualify for a postseason bowl game. What the fuck does Cliff Kingsbury know about anything, except maybe hair care? He's got great hair. But how can this guy, and remember, folks, remember, Kyler Murray, with all respect to him, with Kyler Murray, he's played a grand total of 13 college football games at the University of Oklahoma. And we're not talking about in the SEC. We're not talking about the Big Ten. We're not talking about even... We're not even talking about the ACC. We're talking about the Big 12 Conference, which this day and age, folks, has Oklahoma and 11 wannabes. Texas isn't as good as they used to be. West Virginia isn't as good as they used to be. TCU isn't as good as they used to be. And they're all in the pack, excuse me, all in the Big 12 Conference. So Oklahoma, realistically, folks, can roll out their regular team and win every weekend because the teams are playing in their own conference. They suck. So what makes Kingsbury such a, a, a offensive wunderkind that he thinks that this Kyler Murray, after 13 collegiate football games, is one of the best dual threat players to ever play? And you know what? Chris and I, again, have made mention many times on this program of our affinity toward John Lynch, the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. I was questioning last year or two years ago when they traded up or down or whatever it was with the Bears, and they Bears end up with Trubisky, 49ers move down, but whatever. 49ers stay right there at number two because the best player in the draft is going to fall into your lap at number two. If the Arizona Cardinals had a brain in their head, they would stay right where they are and draft Nick Bosa out of Ohio State. But for whatever reason, this pencil neck geek has Kyler Murray on his mind. It's almost like he's got a fetish for him. And they are going to waste a number one and a number 10. Think about it. A number oh, 10. I know. Depending on what they get for Josh Rosen. And Josh Rosen didn't, didn't really excite anybody last year, folks. What are you going to get? You're going to get the 10th overall pick for Josh Rosen this year? I don't think so. But the benefactor of Kingsbury being a total fool are the San Francisco 49ers who pick second in April's draft and Nick Bosa will be on their draft board. Holy moly, this is just, you know, it, it reminds me so much of my Oilers because the number one reason the Oilers have been so bad for so long is just terrible scouting and drafting. Just unforgivably bad. You know, you mentioned the other day how the Packers, their whole 2015 class draft class right. is gone. Yep. Uh, the Oilers, geez, you look through even 2003, the best draft class of all time in the NHL. Oilers were terrible, like gotten nothing for it. Even that first round where you almost couldn't miss, you could throw a dart and almost any guy taking the first round became an all-star and they still drafted a Coke machine instead. <laughs> and it's just really sad. And this is where Arizona is going now. You can't 
as a franchise, you can't blow in consecutive years a 10th overall pick and a first overall pick. And that appears what they're set to do right now. And it's unbelievable that this can be, these decisions can be made at the NFL level. It's just disgusting. Like it's, how can it, how can any team, uh, how can any fan cheer for this franchise? It's disgusting. And I mean, I agree with you. Certainly that the Super Bowl after the 08 season, uh, James Harrison did not score. And, right. and the Cardinals should have won, and Kurt should have won two Super Bowls with two different teams, yep. uh, as Greg says. And uh, we're all in agreement to that, and that's for sure, because that was that game was bullshit. But uh, there's look, there's there's great things there. I mean, you've got John Jones' brother Chandler Jones uh, rushing the quarterback. You compliment Nick Bosa there with Patrick Peterson patrolling the back. That's that's pretty scary, right? So uh, I don't know how you say no to that at this point. In fairness, San Fran, there's a chance they take that uh, offensive tackler, whatever, Quinn oh, Williams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a chance they take him. But yeah. I mean, I like I like Bosa for sure. But Bosa could fall to three or four. It's possible, but he probably should go number one. And it's just unforgivable to be this bad. But to get a Cliff Kingsbury in there who, again, he hasn't done anything special himself. And he's drafting or probably, you know, at least advocating for Kyler Murray, who was originally projected to be not only a second or third round pick on his own merits, Mm -hmm. but then when you factor in not being sure about baseball and having baseball there and it looking like he did decide to go at baseball for a while and I'm not sure what changed, uh, you know, that was the last thing anyone thought that he was going to be a first overall pick. It's similar to Baker Mayfield last year, but it's worse where, you know, everyone thought, oh, is this guy going to be taken on the first day or the second day? Oh, maybe actually he'll be taken in the first round for sure. And oh, maybe early first round, now first overall. Yeah. And it's it just it's like this hype train runs out of control here. And honestly, the Kyler Murray thing, for a number of reasons, I think is is even worse than the Baker Mayfield thing. Baker Mayfield might actually turn out here and had a very good rookie season. And uh, I just don't see Kyler Murray ever even doing what Baker Mayfield did in his first year. So, uh, and and Baker Mayfield, especially now this year, has all sorts of weapons. He's going to have, you know, Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb. And it's going to be ridiculous. I hope they, for Cleveland, I hope they keep Duke Johnson. You put him, like, it's just too many weapons. It's ridiculous. They'll probably get rid of him, but whatever. And uh, Arizona does not have that at all. They've got a terrible offensive line. They've got... Geez, they got nothing. They got they got Larry Fitzgerald, who's a hundred years old and is going to play for one more year, and that'll be a nice safety valve to help out whatever, uh, you know, whatever quarterback they do end up going with. And with Josh Rosen, I I've heard I heard all this stuff. Oh, they can probably get a second round pick for him, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then last I heard, oh, now they're trying to get a third round pick. I can't believe anyone would give a seventh round pick for Josh Rosen. You know, he may have been tenth overall, but he was the fourth choice of quarterbacks in the draft, which is is uh, quite low down in NFL circles. You know, after the top two or three, it's a real dart. And even those top two or three are really, really risky with quarterbacks. It's really tough to project how they're going to transition to the NFL level from college for a number of reasons. And I just, the Arizona Cardinals, you put it right, they can't get out of their own way. And it's going to be a long, long time before this franchise is relevant. Now, I, I have a scenario that just came to my head listening to you. I think this would be something that Brian Gutekunst needs to look at seriously on draft day. My favorite team has the 12th and the 30th picks in the first round in the NFL draft. And if they want to include their one pick in the second round, the Packers have 44. So the Packers have three picks in the first 44 of this upcoming end of April draft. So you should get three good football players at 44. 
what I'm proposing is if Chris scenario, if Chris's scenario comes to fruition, whereas the Cardinals bungle it and then they draft Kyler Murray and then the offensive tackle, and I believe he's from Alabama, is the one that Chris is talking about, goes two to the San Francisco 49ers. And I have found out today from the New York Times that the Jets, their general manager, Mike McGowan or something. Yeah, well, it's, it's like McCagnan. Whatever. Yeah. doesn't matter. Mike. Uh, Mike, Jets GM, says he's open to trading down from the third overall pick in the April draft. Here's my proposal. This would be just fabulous in Packerland. I know we need a tackle. I know we need a lot of things. But, my God, if you could get a Nick Bosa, take 12 and 44 and send it to somebody or send it to the Jets. I don't think you give up two number ones, but I think you give up either 12 or 30, one of the ones, and and you're one in the second. So number 12 or number 44, or more than likely to move up to three, it's going to cost you number 12 and number 44 is my best guess. But you send 12 and 44 to the New York Jets at three and you get Nick Bosa in Green Bay, I think that's win-win on a lot of levels. I really do. I don't think it'll happen, but if that scenario plays out, if the Cardinals go ahead and draft Murray at one, and then, according to Chris, and I, you know, this could happen. Who knows? San Francisco needs offensive line help. There's no question. And they get the big tackle. I believe his name is Jonah Williams from Alabama, isn't uh, it? Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams. Well, that was close. Um, I got the school right, I think. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. The big tackle. I would think that you would be, with the two acquisitions that they made in free agency with the two Smith brothers, they're not brothers really, but Preston Smith from the Redskins and Desarius or something. Desarius, whatever. Smith, yeah. De- Smith from Baltimore. You add them along with Nick Bosa on your front line, and our pass rush is going to get a hell of a lot better in Green Bay. That would be something that if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I'd look at very hard if that scenario plays out. Well, so I don't know if you ever look at the NFL draft trade value chart. No, I don't. Okay, so... This is what this is the yardstick, and I forget who invented this. I know this, but I forget it. But anyway, so this is what all the teams go by when they're making a trade at the draft. Right. So they go by this point system. So if you look, the Jets, it's actually conveniently highlighted in green on this page. Right. Uh, the number three pick, so the number one pick is worth 3,000 points, and then the number three pick is worth 2,200 points. So according to the trade value chart, the Packers would have to trade all three of these to move okay, up well. because the... 12th pick is worth 1,200, yep. so now you need another 1,000. Yep. The 30th pick is worth 620, okay. and the 44th pick is worth 460. So you actually, right there, that's 1,000. You end up with just 60 more points, which mm-hmm. is nothing, uh, for those three picks over that. So I think you'd have to give all three of those if you really wanted Nick Bosa. And even then, maybe the Jets don't uh, trade down. But uh, you'd probably go, I mean, in that scenario, you'd probably go like the 12 and the 30 or the 44, and then a pick next year or something yeah. is probably what you would do there. Right. But uh, it, it would take a lot to uh, those. The It obviously gets uh, smaller and smaller, the difference from pick to pick after those first few where it's dropping down 400 at a time. But uh, yeah, I mean, Nick Bosa would be the perfect thing for 
The Packers, as Brian Gutekunst himself said recently, the Packers are always in win-now mode because they're the Packers, and I think that's true with that fan base and the expectations of that franchise. So I, I hope they do make some big trades. It's clearly a new era. If it hasn't been clear before now, it was just when they did the three awesome defensive signings in one day, as Darius uh, Smith, Preston Smith, and uh, Adrian Amos. And so now it is a new thing. This is not Ted Thompson's team anymore. And yeah, and now it's definitely a new era where the team is not afraid to dip into free agency. And it's nice to see. And it's not overly idealistic and all this. It's actually a realistic team now. And uh, I hope they do make a splash of the draft. And I could see Brian Gutenkunst doing something like this. Well, you know, the Packers, the last time the Packers had a top 10 draft pick was 2009. And who'd they take? B.J. Raji. Nose tackle out of Boston College. Oh, I remember him. Because he's and on the State Farm commercial with Aaron. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, BJ Raji. Yeah. The defensive And then they play that song. like, Raji. And he's like dancing around. And Yeah, they, they got lots of State Farm commercials. Oh, okay. But they, they got one with him and Aaron. Oh, okay. But uh, he retired a couple years ago. But uh, the last time the Packers were in the top 10 was 2009. And they took a nose tackle out of Boston College by the name of BJ Raji. At 22 that year. Who did they take? In 09? In 09. At 22 in 09. Oh, Clay? There you go. All I had to do was pretend I was brushing my hair. He got it. Rapunzel. Rapunzel Rapunzel Matthews was drafted by the Packers at 22 or 26, one of those two, in 2009. That was the last year that the Packers had two picks in the first round. So um, we we shall see what happens there. But uh, I just can't believe... The Arizona Cardinals, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. We'll see. Um, well, I mean, hey, speaking of Clay, why don't we talk about Clay getting signed with the Rams? Well, I first want to, and I'm going to get to that. We've got plenty of time, mm-hmm. and I, I want to get to this, though, real quick. And, and I, again, as promised, I want to make sure that Chris has adequate time to go through the second tier of signings, if you will. And he's got a truckload of them, and I, I will get to them in one second. But while we're kind of talking about the Arizona Cardinals, the old coach that actually I thought brought some credibility to their organization, Bruce Arians. Um, I thought Coach Arians did a hell of a job under trying circumstances in Phoenix. He has resurfaced this year as the new coach, as you know, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like Bruce Arians. Um, He's proof that a guy at 66 years old can still do things, just like guys (laughs) at 54 can still do things. I don't agree with this, though. New Bruin, a new uh, Buccaneers coach, Bruce Arian, says, hell yes, women can coach in the National Football League. I don't agree. I agree that they probably could coach a position, meaning they could be a linebacker coach or a, a, a cornerbacks coach or something like that, maybe. But again, it's very tough. And this is the old school in me. I, I admit that. This is the old school in me. And I'm surprised that an old school guy, even older than me, Bruce Arians, would agree with this. But what, and I don't mean a slap at women, please, but women, unless they're playing in the lingerie league, which there is one of, folks, Green Bay even has a team in the lingerie league, they aren't playing at Division Three, They aren't playing at Division Two, They aren't playing, certainly, at Division One, And to my knowledge, there's never been a woman that's played the National Football League. I can see how a Becky Hammond 
can be a coach in an NBA because women play basketball. They get that. And she's learning from one of the best in Greg Popovich. And I think Bruce Arians is one of the best as the new coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do not think, though, and you know what? We're way beyond this. If you want to call me a sexist, you want to call me a pig, feel free. You know how to leave a message. Mike is a pig. I'll know what you mean. But if you don't, this is my same problem with women broadcasters. If you don't play the game that you're broadcasting, how can you bring credibility to the broadcast? Same thing here. There hasn't been a woman that has signed, excuse me, that has suited up for a National Football League game. What makes her eligible to be an NFL coach? Sir, please. Well, that's interesting. Uh, for me, I think that you don't necessarily have to have done it. And I appreciate where you're coming at uh, or coming from with the credibility question. Now, we recently saw uh, a special on, I believe it was ESPN, where there was that high school coach who had no arms and no legs. Unbelievable, and, yeah. And, and he's able to be a high school football coach. Now, he obviously can't play football, but he's able to coach. Perhaps, I, and I don't know what his strengths are. Maybe he's an amazing motivator. Maybe he's a brilliant analytical mind. Uh, I, I don't know what his specialties are. But between the fact that he can do that and by the fact that um, you know, women are already referees in that. And the fact that Becky Hammond um, can certainly coach basketball. And it's funny that uh, Greg Popovich and Bruce Arian seem like very similar people to Correct. me. That, that yep. kind of that gruff, like old school, but probably a big teddy and bear underneath it all. have a military background too. Sure, absolutely. So they would have seen some pretty strong women in their times uh, in, the, uh, in the military. So I don't see it being a problem. I like that we're trying new things here. Like I, I'm actually cheering for the Arizona Coyotes to make the playoffs in the NHL because I love how they took a chance on John Chaka, who at the time was a 26-year-old uh, guy who had his own analytics firm. So number one, he's young and it's you know just absurdly young by the standards of the old men who normally uh, coach and GM uh, NHL teams. But number two, a guy that's not just, oh, yeah, hey, uh, I, uh, I saw him good and all this. It's no, like, hey, we're going to look at the math. We're going to do things a new modern way and really look at the numbers. And uh, I, I love that we're trying all this stuff. It was just announced that for the first time ever, uh, the main event of WrestleMania is going to be a women's I match. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. And, and I have to tell you firsthand as a, as a hardcore wrestling fan, in no way is this uh, just some sort of pandering, like, oh, let's give the girls one and make us look all awesome. And trust me, if WWE ever does anything like that, I will call them on it because I don't like Vince or any of that. But I have a question. Yeah. Is Rousey one of the two girls? One of the three girls, yes. It's a three girls. It, it's it's oh, a okay. triple threat match. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Ronda Rousey defending her Raw title against Charlotte Flair, uh, Ric Flair's Ron daughter. Flair's daughter, yeah. And uh, Becky Lynch, who uh, has she's uh, she's from Ireland actually, and she's uh, amazing, and she has done an unbelievable job of reinventing herself. Uh, she actually wrestled for some of the same independents as me in Vancouver, right around the same time. I actually never met her. But uh, it's uh, she comes from a similar sort of area where I was doing my wrestling, and she's made it all the way. And now WrestleMania 35 will be the first one to have an all-women main event. And I have to tell you specifically, it is the most anticipated match on the card, regardless of anything else. So it is the right choice to make it the main event, and the timing couldn't be better. And that's great. So I would have to say 
it depends what you're going for. If you feel the need for credibility for some reason that the person has to have done it before, well, then I guess inherently it has to be a man. But if they're uh, if you're open to different things, whether it's uh, analytics or a different negotiate, uh, different motivation style or something else. Uh, I think that women can do it as well, and I don't have a problem with this at all. In the end, it's all going to come down to results, and it would have to be a seriously foolish organization that was going to take a huge chance on somebody that isn't there because of merit. And so a woman, if anything, is going to have to try that much harder to prove her merit. And so if a woman's actually getting the job as the head coach in the NFL, she must be something special, or the organization is going to pay the price. Well... I don't think Bruce Arians, and I could be wrong, but the way I'm seeing this is that I believe Bruce Arians believes as a start, and I could be wrong. My guess here, though, is that um, this would be as an assistant position because we we both know and both realize that there's a lot of old, stodgy owners in the National Football League that are still, some of them, believe that they're still in the 1950s and 60s. So I don't think you'd ever see a woman on the staff of the New York Giants, as an example, because of the Mara family. I don't think you'd see a woman on the staff. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Actually, no, the Mara's a good example because uh, if you see, I don't know if you've seen that that proposal the Denver Broncos made with uh, that new idea for a replacement for an onside kick. Have you seen yes, that? Yes, I have seen that. Yeah. So they went to the competition committee the other day. Yep. And it was unanimous in favor of pursuing that right. new idea, except for uh, Mr. Mara, who That's said right. no. And his quote was, what are we, the Arena Football League? And uh, so you're right. He is old school, and maybe he resists that. But what I have to say, no matter what anyone's opinions are or anything else, what I cannot picture, if you're going to make, if everyone's already saying, oh, yeah, we can totally picture women being an assistant coach in the NFL, I cannot picture uh, it getting to that point and not having a woman take the the last step. There's, I think it's unrealistic to think that, well, that she's going to get there and then it's going to be 50 or 100 years of just, oh yeah, they can only get to that point and they're just going to stay there. I don't picture that at I, all. Of the, of, the three spo- of the four main sports, I see actually a woman making greater inroads in regard to coaching on the hockey side, the baseball side, and the basketball side before football for the simple reason that at least the girls have had the ability and the accessibility to play those three sports. What What's the highest, is there any sort of like actual American tackle football league for women of any repute? And, and again, I'm not making a joke when I say this, there is a lingerie league. Well, I know that. No, no, but, no. But no. No, but I knowledge, mean like legit. No. To my knowledge, no. The only girls that I know of that have played at least at the collegiate level have all been kickers. Okay, there's not like uh, colleges don't have no, a, no. A, a, a women's football team? No. no. Interesting. They do not. They do not. And um, so I just, again, I, I, I just think that because the women have, 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 have had opportunities to play big-time hockey, big-time basketball, and big time uh, baseball. baseball, I think that you would see a greater chance of a woman breaking through and being a coach and those three sports before I see them breaking into the National Football League. I see a woman potentially breaking into the XFL or the AAF or something like that 
as a training ground, but breaking in as your first job as a woman in the National Football League, I think it'd be very difficult. Well, no, well, no, that's true. You're, but nobody, male or female, your first job shouldn't be in the NFL. Like that's well, no, crazy. but I mean, there are, and you know this. You're smarter than I am, but you know this. There have been guys, Tim Lewis, um, former was originally a draft pick of the Packers back in the '80s. Broke his neck, couldn't play anymore. He went right into coaching. Ended up on the Packers coaching staff for a while, you know. And maybe it's because you know he was a Packer. I get all that. There have been a few, not many, but there have been a few guys that have gone from the playing field to the coaching booth. Not many, but some. Um, if you don't have that connectivity though to the NFL, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in Phoenix that you're gonna. You're right. Your first coaching job is not going to be at the NFL level. Well, I hope male or female. I would like to get away from the practice of. Oh, especially as an Oiler fan. Oh, well, he was a good player on the ice, so we can put a suit on him. He's going to be a genius. Like, right. no, that's stupid no matter what. So I want to see that practice gone anyway. So do I. So do I. And anyway, and so, no, I mean, I'm not saying women shouldn't pay their dues. I'm saying, like, I mean... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being critical of you. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying that it's going to be very difficult without that connectivity to an NFL team or franchise or whatever you want. It's going to be difficult for any buddy to get their first job in the national football league uh, on a coaching staff but i think it'd be almost impossible for a woman to do it well she'll have to start uh, probably she'll have to be the... related to becky hammond <laughs> well she'll have to start probably with with high school football or something and then maybe get to college and and really work her way up the ranks that would be an uphill battle but i think we're going to see some trailblazing woman do it i i know a lot of these situations aren't necessarily analogous but uh, I think of, it seems like just yesterday I was watching Dana White say, oh, we'll never see women in the UFC. And I mean, that's only what, five, six years ago. Right. And, and how much has it changed now? It's crazy. And, uh, you know, it, it, things are changing all the time. I personally, something about, something is just telling me, I feel like it in the not too distant future, we're going to see women in the NHL. I, re I really think that, and even though it's body contact, now less so than whatever, uh, I mean, we just have this thing where, we were just raised like, you know, women are this separate thing and we, you know, you don't, well, you don't hit and, them or anything, but. And I have to admit, that's my age showing up too, you know. Sure. No uh, question. I mean. Like body checking a woman as hard All as right. you can. It sounds crazy. Listen to this, folks. Okay. This is my age speaking and Chris can't speak to this because Chris wasn't even around. You've heard of Title IX. Mm -hmm. Title IX uh, was passed in 1973 to allow women the ability to play collegiate sports. Um, that was 47 years ago. Um, that opened the door to allow women to play sports and I'm very appreciative of it. But when I was born and when my father, Chris has met Jack, um, my mother, not my best friend, but my mother was a very good athlete in her own right, but she went to college in the fifties. And so the only thing she could do was be a cheerleader. <laughs> boys played sports girls uh, were cheerleaders boring I, bo absolutely it's bullshit but you see where i get it i get it honestly because that's where i was raised and so it would be i don't think it's impossible but it would surprise me in the next couple of years if we saw a woman on an nfl side maybe yeah well it just for the nhl i mean it's just the the game is getting so far away from uh, fighting and even hitting. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't think we'll ever see a man fight a woman in the NF in the NHL. I don't think that would be very cool. Well, that wouldn't send a very good president then, because then they'd go out in the street and beat yeah, the crap out yeah. of women. Well, I saw I saw Matthew Kachuk beat the hell out of some girl last night on the hockey rink. Yeah, 
Well, which some... is the only person I could see Matthew well, Chuck fighting. <laughs> I want to talk about and him. And he'd but, still lose. But, you know. But, um, but, but no, I mean, I'm just, I, I don't see the fighting, but uh, we, the thing is we'd have to as a society be okay with, and it might be jarring at first, but I think we'll see it. We have to be okay with uh, men body checking a woman in the NHL as hard as he could. Yeah. Because you can't give special treatment, well, it would have to be. you can't give special treatment because if you're holding up, going as oh, fast yeah, as can't. they, you're going to have injuries all no, over the place. you can't, you can't, you can't. You're going to have blown out knees, you're going to have blown out ankles, you're going to have soft tissue injuries up the kazoo yeah. if they're having to put a brake oh, yeah. on no, they know so they, they can't hit darling Debbie over here. But I mean, these so, girls are tough and I, I loved seeing Kendall Coyne Schofield participate in the skills competition. Yep. The guys loved it and, and I think, I just have a feeling, I think maybe in the not too distant future, I think we're going to see... Women in the NHL getting hit and dishing out hits, and uh, other than punching, uh, you know, men in the face or getting punched in the face by men, other than the fighting part, I think we're going to see it. And these girls are aggressive and tough. A lot of them, I've I've known a lot of them firsthand growing up in Saskatchewan, and I've known some good hockey playing girls, and they can just they can get out there and kick ass. And I think we're going to see it. I re- I really do. I don't doubt you, my friend. I just don't know if the timeline, uh, if I'm ready for the timeline, because again. I was brought up in a different era, and uh, I appreciate the inroads that women are making, but I ultimately think if we're going to see a woman on a professional, big-time professional platform, I'm worried about, and I really am. I don't mean this as a joke. I don't mean this as a slap. I don't mean this as disrespectful. I am worried about that woman's uh, longevity on that playing field. Can you imagine a woman trying to be a running back in the NFL or a wide receiver and go across the middle? Um, could you see a woman? Potentially we can, but we're, and I think you hit it right on the head when you said we're going to have to train ourselves, I think is a good word, to allow ourselves to see a woman get knocked into next week going across the middle. And then maybe it'll ease some of our concerns. Because I'm afraid of our society today that see that kind of stuff as normal on a playing field, but then they take it out into the streets. That's what I'm concerned about. We- yeah, it, it's, an, it's an interesting psychological discussion, and who knows, for all we know, maybe psychologically when we see them as uh, equals, maybe we're, we just have that, re- maybe we gain more respect for them and you see it less because, you know what, if there's one thing the NFL has taught us, there's no shortage of men hitting women out there even as, as of right now, so... Yeah. Who knows? Know. I'm I'm fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Um. Before we get out of here, I do want to, uh, and I tried to save time, but that was a good conversation. <laughs> it's and okay. We're unscripted. Yeah, yeah. Um. You have some updates for us, my friend, in regard to some recent signings from the National Football League silly season. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, two subpar starting quarterbacks who might be okay as backups were signed. So the Raiders have signed Mike Lennon to be their backup, one year, two million dollars. Totally reasonable. And Blake Bortles, shortly after signing an extension of millions uh, of dollars a year and 20-some million guaranteed and all this, signs one year, one million. You know what I heard? You'll get a kick out of this. Mm-hmm. Bill Plaschke, NFL writer for the Los Angeles Times. Mm-hmm. I used to interview him a lot. Um, I have a good relationship with Bill. Read his article the other day in um, the Los Angeles paper, and supposedly... Bortles went to Les Snead and said, I'll play for nothing. He wants to go out there and learn under McVeigh. He wants to go out there and sharpen his skills. He's amazed at what uh, Sean McVeigh has done in regard to Jared Goff. 
and he wants to go out there and learn. And supposedly he went out and told Les Snead, I'd play for minimum. Just get me on a contract, and I want to sit here and learn, learn, learn. Wow, that's not the Bortles we're used to. No, it's and, not. and that's what he needed because he's known as Mr. Party Boy and uh, just, you know, just the typical kind of dumb jock who doesn't care and flames out at the, uh, at the NFL level. He was already overdrafted going third overall when he should have been way after that. Agreed. And uh, it's all about just and he, his... And two years ago, he was one quarter from the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, because of his defense. Well, obviously. for sure, but he still would have been on the, you know... Yeah, no, I mean, he's going to be an above average backup quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, his... you wouldn't. I'd love to see him in Green Bay backing up Rodgers. Well, anything better than Deshaun Kaiser, but I mean, or or uh, Hundley, Hundley, Brett Hundley, yeah, Brett Hundley. Oh, forget, don't forget about Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley was signed last week by the Arizona Cardinals, and in his in his introductory press conference, he says, "I'm going to be the starter here." What sure, a, you are. What a guy. Anyway, <laughs> self confidence uh, a great thing. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, I'm Blake Bortles. That's amazing to hear, and I figured if he's taking that kind of a pay cut and he's going there to play that as a backup, he. You know, he must be wanting to take his career seriously for once, it sounds like, which is hard to fathom, but he's not known as someone who's ever watched game film or taken things seriously, and he never really knew what uh, schemes were being used against him. He just kind of went out there and did his best, and I think that's why he scrambled so much, and it's it's surprising he's that he's that mobile, really, because, I yeah. mean, as you, he really is surprisingly mobile for a big six foot five dude so uh, between that and he's got a big arm for sure so I mean he's got lots of natural talent and maybe Sean McVay can do that because Jared Goff was looking like Josh Rosen and then (laughs) and then uh, that turned around so that that's pretty cool the Dallas Cowboys have made some interesting signings lately. So, uh, you know, they mentioned they and they're doing one year deals, right. which I love. They're kind of just trying out some new stuff. And I appreciate that. They signed Randall Cobb one year, five million, which I think is good because that replaces Cole Beasley, who went right. to Buffalo. So they need right. that. That's one of the few things that they've really liked relying on. And they don't really have that safety valve, um, except, well, I was going to say they didn't last year, but now they're bringing back Jason Witten. Did you knew that? Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 no, the way I, you acted looked like. Oh, it. I know, but see, I think. Don't you agree that that was more failure in the booth? He was terrible. Well, yes, but I think they wanted him too because they're because of this. They're missing that safety valve. So now they sign Randall Cobb as that slot receiver. They sign Jason Witten as that safety valve type guy, and they sign Little Tavon Austin, who not that long ago was signing. 10 times 4 with the Rams and is now one year 1.75 million so he's that little gadget running back receiver type little thing plus special teams mm-hmm. so I, I like that and what I really love I mean speaking of one year 1 million like Bortles Cowboys signed Kerry Hyder who was awesome for the Detroit Lions a couple years ago and it just hasn't stayed healthy but one year 1 million for Kerry Hyder if he plays half the games is is a steal of a deal yep. never mind if he plays all of them so that's fantastic um and the lions speaking of them they signed a uh, cornerback Rashawn melvin uh one year 3.5 what we're really seeing some amazing deals this time of the year after some overpays there's always a bunch of overpays early but then the guys that don't get signed and you get just some serious steals of deals here um interesting speaking of the lions too uh, do you see they they did an offer sheet? Did you see that? No. To the Rams, like nobody in sports likes to do offer sheets because then you get labeled as a GM that's an asshole and is just trying to steal guys. And they didn't even do it for a big star or anything. They did it for the Rams. I guess he would have been the third string running back last year, Malcolm Brown, who was very good until he got hurt. He's they a, gave him an offer sheet. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, they offered him two years. 
grand total of 3.25 million. So 1.6 a year, yeah. And so the Rams decided to match. So they automatically signed him to a three, uh, two-year, $3.25 million deal, mm-hmm. which I like him. Uh, we don't know what's going on with C.J. Anderson, and Malcolm Brown's been very solid, so no problem there. Jeez, uh, like... It's so funny to see every deal now is like a one-year prove-it deal for super cheap money. A lot of these guys are very good. So um, best GM in the league right here, Howie Roseman, brings back Vinny Curry, who did nothing for the Bucks. Now he comes back one year, 2.25, you know, took him to a Super Bowl, basically. Like, just great. Were you surprised that Matthews got two years from the Rams? Yeah, I don't know why they didn't do one. I was very one. surprised. Why not do one? I know. Uh, I now actually have that down here. I want to see the... Let me see here. Uh, I want to find the details. Is that one of those ones that's oh, no, actually kind of years. a one? No. Like sometimes they say they're two years, whatever, right. but they're really more of a Correct. one. This um, was a two-year guarantee. Yeah, two years, nine point two five million. Right. Uh, personally, yeah, no, this is a legitimate two-year deal. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't really get that. I don't get that one either. Um, you know, and it's going to be interesting on that defense. And um, you know, I know he's going home and he's all excited and he's playing on a Super Bowl contending team and yada yada yada. But you're coming off a season where he actually played all 16 games and only brought home 3.5 sacks. So um, you know, there's a little bit of good faith on both sides there in regard to the Rams organization. Uh, paying tribute to a guy who's been in the league for 10 years and paid his dues and he wants to come home. And uh, I think, though, it's going to be very difficult for Clay Matthews to eclipse even 3.5 sacks next year. I really do. I think he's lost that initial burst of speed, and I think he would be better. And I think, I, I well, and this is why I think the Rams are going to be a perfect fit. Not only is he going home, but he's going to be working with the best defensive coordinator in National Football League. So if there's a guy that can get something out of Clay Matthews, you'd think it'd be Wade Phillips. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. The best uh, DC in the league and doesn't hurt to have uh, Aaron Donald clocking up the middle and drawing some attention away either. Right. So yeah, can't be worse than he was in Green Bay lately. Uh, The Bengals did a good signing after the worst offseason in NFL history. They did sign poor Tyler Eifert, one year, four million. This guy, uh, yeah, at his best when he's healthy, is arguably the best tight end in the league, especially with Gronk gone. And uh, what a shame. He was my go-to for years in fantasy football, and I just feel so bad for him. So I hope he can stay healthy. Uh, boy, the Patriots. Here's the Patriots. See, this is why the Patriots are really good, because they make all these under-the-radar signings that nobody knows about like when you sign a nose tackle from the jets for two years five million you're like who cares but it's mike pinnell and he is mike uh, pinnell used to play in green bay yeah you're right too absolutely and he's uh he's solid two years five million for a for a solid run stuffing nose tackle he's got a criminal record oh well okay the patriots don't care <laughs> yeah whatever um you know and basically and the thing is they can sign when they have uh you know, this offense where they always have this great offensive line and Brady can just nail those crossing routes. You sign guys like Maurice Harris, one year, one million. Bruce Ellington, one year, 895,000. They're going to plug and play those guys like they're Edelman. It's all the same thing. It doesn't matter who you sign. They're all going to be the same thing. And when they re-sign next, with their next team, they'll do it for double the money because... Triple, quadruple, right. and then do nothing. Yeah, Correct. There so you they go. They don't know how to use them, of there course. You go. And um, uh, here's an interesting one. The team that somehow might be the best roster in the league despite having the most cap space, the Indianapolis Colts, signed Justin Houston, two years, $24 million. 
an aging regressing player, but they had money to spend and he could be still good. I don't know. It's really hard to in know where Justin Houston is. situational pass, you know, as a situational pass rusher, I think that was a good signing by the Colts. I really do. They've got the money. And They've got the money and, you know, why not? You're taking a flyer on a guy that I think is going to be motivated to prove the Kansas City Chiefs wrong. And I got to tell you, the trade that they made with the 49ers, D Ford out in San Francisco is going to be a nice addition to that oh, football yeah. team. I'm really excited yeah. about that. Yeah, I, I hope that the uh, uh, I hope that the Chiefs are better this year because I feel bad for Patrick Mahomes being so let down by the second worst defense in the league. That was really a shame. So Bob Sutton's gone. So hopefully it's going to get better now. But um, and and maybe the most interesting team uh, of the offseason, the New York Giants, trying to figure out what they're doing because you know we've been so hard on them. And trading Beckham doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but a lot of the other stuff they're doing is great. And I think yeah. we're going to see them move up if necessary and get Dwayne Haskins, who is, should be better than uh, Kyler Murray, but also like getting Zeitler and signing Marcus Golden. It's like, you know what? If you take away the one or two weird things and like you're hanging on to Eli Manning forever. Golden Tate was a bit of a surprise signing there yeah. at 31. But that also... But he's 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 like they say he's he's known as a guy that's good to have in the locker room. No, he's I get that. Reliable but... for a, if they get a young quarterback, that's the type of guy you want. No, you're right. But I also think that this would be a guy that's better suited for a veteran laden team that's ready to make a Super Bowl run versus a team that's very obviously going into some major renovations. Yeah, well, I, he got a I think he got a four year contract. Well, I, I, so... I, I was just surprised by it because I just don't know why you're committing that amount of time to a 31-year-old receiver. Yeah, and, and then that's, I guess, the thing. It's hard to figure out. Like, even when they make good moves, you're like, okay, what's your overall plan here? But, uh, you know, is is Golden Tate going to be as prolific at 35 when you're still paying him as he was? You know, we're, we all get worse as we get older, but I'm just saying I think that the term is a little bit confusing to me in regard I would have maybe given him two years. Maybe that's what was required to get him to maybe. sign. And, I don't know. And, yeah. and I think that's a guy that maybe they figured they could get a few years out of because I think he's a pretty good, like he's got good hands and he's kind of reliable. I think you could see him. He's a type of receiver that can age and modify his game. He's not like a Des Bryant where it's like he can play one way and when he's old, he's going to be useless. It's like he can be that Randall Cobb or that Colby's. I think Golden Tate's a great guy to really play the slot and be reliable and 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 really... Uh, give a last, you know, a last second or a last chance target to a young quarterback. And so I don't mind that. And I was just going to say, too, they also signed Antoine Bethay two years, 6.5 million, which is rid- a ridiculous steal of a deal. So it, it's all hot and cold in the for the Giants. And I don't know what their overall plan is, but yeah. uh, there's a lot of bad stuff, but actually a lot of good as well. And they're going to be very interesting to see what happens this year, not the least of which when it comes to most interesting things, is Saquon Barkley going to be as good without Odell Beckham being a distraction down the field? I'm still trying to figure out if Odell Beckham, excuse me, Odell Beckham, if Saquon Barkley can play special teams in defense too. Um, we've got a run on this uh, 332nd episode of Unscripted. We thank you very much for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Freeform Friday is next and uh, we look forward to that. Great way to end the week here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Luke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.